Hello and welcome to the Burning Ones podcast. Our goal is to help people all around the world experience the love and power of Jesus and live passionately devoted to Him. We pray that the podcast is just that for you. Thank you for joining us on this journey and may burning witnesses arise for Him all around the world. All right, good evening, good evening. Everybody go ahead and grab a seat. As you do that, I hope you brought your Bible tonight. How many of you love the Word of God? All right, let's try that again. All right, so how many of you love the Word of God? All right, we're getting there. We're getting there. All right, if you brought your Bible, let's go ahead and open it up. We'll grab two places in the Scriptures. Uh, We're going to grab 1 Kings chapter 18. We'll read something from there. Verses 41 to 46, and then we will hold that, and we'll also grab Matthew 26. And in Matthew 26, we'll look at 36 to 46. So 1 Kings 18, if you're familiar with 1 Kings 17, 18, we realize it's the person of Elijah, very precious passage to me, and then Matthew 26, 36 to 46 is going to be the man Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. As you're turning there, I just want to say what a joy it is for my wife and I to be with you tonight. We always consider it to be an honor and a privilege to come and join in with what's happening here in Jacksonville, especially with this church family. Uh, We really love Pastor Jordan and Marie. Uh, Man, we honor you guys. We celebrate the plow that you guys have put your lives to. Um, And thank you for the honor of being here with you guys tonight. Um, Anna and I, we feel privileged to be here. We just found out, well, I guess several weeks ago, that we're expecting baby number six. Yeah, if you could see the looks on some of your faces, some of you are clapping like, hi, you're crazy. It feels that way sometimes, for sure. Uh, But we are awaiting a little girl at the end of March, uh, March 31st, in fact. So Resurrection Sunday is our little girl's due date, Um, especially, um, I should say, unique and really powerful to us personally. Um, After having gone through a miscarriage several months ago or earlier this year, um, and asking the Lord for the confidence and really his grace and power to strengthen our hope in him, to believe again, to put ourselves in a vulnerable space again, to come under his leadership again, and to trust him for something that we felt invited by, by the Lord in the place of prayer or devotion, Um, really needing the Lord to touch our hearts um, and the hearts, especially of our older children, Uh, as we set ourselves again to believe. Um, So when we found out that we were having a little girl and that her due date was going to be Resurrection Sunday, um, the Lord said to me, I raise dreams from the dead. And I feel it's it's fitting, right? I'm not saying everybody's supposed to go out and have babies. I'm not saying you're not. I'm not saying that's what you're supposed to do. Um, But we knew for us that there was an aspect of our devotion that brought us to the place where we knew that the Lord's leadership for us was inviting us this way. 
And in the passages that we're about to take a look at, uh, I feel as if I've come tonight to bring encouragement to those of us that have possibly been challenged with the Lord's leadership in our life. To those of us who possibly need endurance, as the writer of Hebrews would say in chapter 10, for you have need of endurance. Uh, possibly endurance in the place of priesthood or in the place of prayer. I mean, I say priesthood first because priesthood is not only evidenced in the place of prayer or in the place of our devotion. We're all aware that what God is after is a people that would be a holy possession to him. We get that from the very beginning, right? Eden was made for God and not necessarily just for Adam or for Eve. Eden was the space that God created where he desired out of his own longing to share himself with people that he created. Where the longing of God to be known, the longing of God to be enjoyed and to enjoy those that he reveals himself to. Eden was reserved for that space. Well, we have it again at the Sinai encounter where God has not forgotten about this desire. I want a people that are going to be all mine. I want a people that's going to be a holy possession that will be a holy nation, that will be a royal priesthood. Peter echoes these words when he says, Beloved, remember that at one time you were not a people in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. He says, remember that at one time you were not a people. You were just like everyone else in the world. You were dreaming their dream. You shared their appetite. Your life was set up the same way that everyone else's life is set up. You were being conditioned or discipled by the system of the age, by the sway of the wicked one. Ephesians 2 would say you were being governed by a self-indulgent life, feelings of the flesh and thoughts of the mind. But God reveals to them again at Sinai, I haven't forgotten about this. I want a people that are going to be a royal priesthood to me. And these are the words that Peter is echoing when he says, once you were not a people, but now you are a people. But you're not just any people. You're the people of God. And you're a people that to the Lord in the way that he relates to you and the way that you are intended to relate to him. You are a holy nation. You are a company or a family, a collection of called out ones. He says you are a royal priesthood. Well, we know that's why they sing the song to the lamb on the throne in Revelation 5. They say you've actually done it. You've taken a weak, broken, rebellious, hostile creation, and you have done what previously seemed like mission impossible. You've become one of them. You've laid down your life on behalf of them. You've been raised from the dead in order to pioneer a way for them. And you have given them your spirit in order to transform them and conform them. And you have made them to be a royal priesthood to our God. We know that God is interested in a priesthood. And to put it simply, priesthood just meaning a people that would relate to him and a people that would represent him. A people that would be in relationship, because priesthood is about relationship and then representation. It's about relating to the Lord as he reveals himself to us. As he discloses himself to those that would be willing to draw near as God gives grace. And as we come under the transforming power and love of God, we become aware or we acutely begin to discern God's leadership in our life. 
because my life is no longer my own. And this is why it's important that I'm actually in relationship with God and relating to him the way that he desires for me to relate to him. Because it's only when I'm actually relating to the Lord the way that he desires for me to relate to him that he can give the grace necessary to transform me and then to align me with what is he would consider it to be his will or his leadership. And as a priesthood, we want to be a people like this Psalm 45-7 company that love what he loves and hate what he hates. We want to be a people that are aligned to God. We want to be a people that walk in harmony, that know that we're actually in relationship with a God that's alive and that's real. We want to know that we have intimate access and exposure in the place of union with God and that together as a people, we're not only relating to him, but then out of relating to him, we are representing him in every space, place, and conversation where God would plant our lives to be a peculiar people. And this is why I say that priesthood has to evidence itself in more than just what we would consider to be a devotion or a consecration of sorts. Priesthood is prayerful, but it must also be evidenced in what we consider to be practical. And what I mean by that is the way that we're relating to the Lord actually has to have a place where we demonstrate our alignment to God. And this is what we're going to look at in 1 Kings chapter 18 and then as we reference Matthew 26 also. Because if you're aware, 1 Kings 18 is the story of Elijah. And Elijah comes into the biblical storyline in 1 Kings 17. No history, no pedigree, no accolades, no resume. But he's a man who's come from the presence of God. And he comes onto a national stage to deliver the word of the Lord. And Elijah is so moved by the voice of God that he's come to declare, he's come to reveal. He's come to demonstrate the evidence of alignment with God that is on his life. Because Elijah is not just a man that has exposure to God. He's a man that's actually in alignment with God. And I think at times we become easily deceived into believing that if I have exposure to God, that it must also be synonymous with meaning that I'm in alignment with God. But we have countless stories throughout the biblical narrative, throughout the text, of people that had exposure to God but weren't necessarily evidencing or demonstrating in their life that they were in right alignment with God. If you consider the children of Israel when they're taken out of Egypt, right, God delivers them with an outstretched arm, with mighty works, signs, wonders, miracles. He tells them in Exodus 19, I didn't just do it for you. I did it because there's something that I want. He says, but know this, that I sought you out, I pursued you, and I rescued you so that you could be all mine. And he brings Moses up to the top of the mount as you flip just a couple of pages forward. And after they betrothed themselves to the Lord, God is physically present on the top of the mount in a way that just a few chapters prior was utterly terrifying to them. There's cloud as a canopy. There's fire. 
there's the voice of God that thunders and the whole mount begins to shake. And Moses goes up by God's invitation and he's there not 40 days. And they've chosen for themselves a new leader and they've formed for themselves a golden calf and they've attached the name of Yahweh to a golden calf and they are partying down in the valley. Now they are partying down in the valley while God is present on the top of the mount. God is physically present upon the earth in an unprecedented way. And they, while having proximity to God, while having exposure to the raw, unadulterated glory of God that has taken over or occupied the top of the mount, they can see him, but while they can see him and they have exposure to him, they are doing their own thing down in the valley. And I think it's important that we identify that exposure to the presence of God is not going to always mean that I am yielding to the presence of God. You see, it's important that we take note that every revelation that God graciously gives of himself is always intended to produce a greater subjection. Every revelation is intended to produce a greater subjection. Meaning, the presence of God is not only to be enjoyed, it's to be surrendered to. The presence of God is not only to come and to have exposure to, but God is graciously drawing near and revealing of himself what he desires of himself to make known to those who are seeking, to those who are knocking, to those who are asking and inquiring. Like David would say in Psalm 27, this one thing I ask, and this is what I'll seek. He says, I want to be in the house of God. He says, I want to tarry, I want to linger. I want to behold his beauty. I want to see him high and lifted up. I want to be captivated and I want him to fascinate me again and again. I would encourage you, you were formed, you were made to live your life by awe and wonder. And God wants to captivate you in a fresh way. He wants to fascinate you again with how glorious, with how beautiful he is. And David says, this isn't enough. He says, but while I'm in that place, I also want to inquire of him in his temple. You see, it's not enough just to have exposure to the presence of God to hang out on the fringes and to enjoy times when God draws near, but yet to leave that moment, leave that time, leave that place, not having any greater subjection, not having any greater surrender, not yielding or aligning myself, not just with the love of God, but with the leadership of God in a greater way. And Elijah is a man who has revealed that he has come from the presence of God, but he is being moved by the leadership that is present in his life that he is aware of. And we find that in 1 Kings 17 verse 1. And it's important because this defines Elijah's life as you continue all the way through 1 Kings 18, 41 to 46, which is the passage that we're going to read. You find that Elijah is a man that when God says, go show yourself, he's moved. But when God says, go hide yourself, he's equally moved. Elijah's will, the strength of his own desire, has been beautifully conquered 
by the beauty of God and by the tenderness and the weight of his leadership in Elijah's life. Elijah is a man that wants what God wants. He's a man that wants to do whatever he knows the spirit of the Lord is moving him to do. He'll be anywhere. He'll say anything. He's free so God can move him in any way that God desires. Elijah has no agenda. He has no plan, no purpose that's creating resistance in the things that he knows that God wants. It's not, oh, well, Lord, you can say anything that you want to me so long as it fits into the three categories and desires of my life that I've already determined I'm willing to hear you in. You see, when people ask me, bro, you have lost your mind. You're having a sixth child. I said, well, let me ask you this. What area of your life is off limits to the voice of God? What area of your life have you determined that God can no longer speak to you in? What area of your life have you convinced yourself that things are the way that you want them to be? And so God's leadership is no longer necessary in certain areas of your life. I said, but Lord, I'm going to be 42, which I turned 42, but I'm going to be 42. Like what is going on? Like, how long is this going to be a thing? I mean, I get it like Abraham's cool, but he's cool to like preach about. And the Lord was like, oh, I'm sorry, man. Like you have plans. Like, like talk to me about your plans. Tell me where my voice is an inconvenience to you. Tell me where my leadership is disrupting things that you feel you have going on. Please, let's talk about this. Like, share with me what you have going on that's so important that you can't do what I'm asking you to do. And Elijah is a man that's moved through a variety of seasons. And he now finds himself on the backside of Mount Carmel. And fire has come down. And God has once again vindicated his representative on the earth. God is once again moved with power, with demonstration, that Elijah is a man that's synchronized with the voice and the heart and the leadership of God. And Elijah comes down from the mount. And in verse 41 through 46, we have the episode where when he comes down, he says, on the inside, I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. Elijah knows that he has received intelligence from heaven. That in the place of priesthood or in the place of devotion, he has become aware of the desires of God and his life has been arrested by God's heart and by God's leadership. And because he's aware that there's something that God longs to see happen, there's something that God has revealed to him. Elijah is arrested and his life is now overtaken. And it's not just overtaken in some abstract way because it's not only for the place of prayer. But Elijah now begins to evidence his alignment with God. He begins to demonstrate in practical ways that what he has received in prayer is now influencing the way that he is now living. You see, because I think at times that the scenario often is to receive something in prayer and then to satisfy ourselves with the conversation that we become proficient in having. Well, brother, this is what the Lord has been saying to me. What are you doing about it? Well, man, you know, I, I went on this fast and, and bro, you know, I heard the Lord this way. And, and, and we've almost just cheapened the phrase 
to where the voice of God is some sort of commodity that we try to leverage into places of convenience in our life. And whenever it's something that we agree with, then we'll do it. But when there's disagreement, when there's some sort of evaluation of it not being necessary, or I can't connect the dots as to why this would be purposeful for me, or I don't benefit from this in the way that I've determined I'm looking for benefits, and we've cheapened, well, I heard the Lord say, well, God's to me. Well, the other day in prayer, man, I really felt the voice of the Lord move me in this particular way or direction. And Elijah says that, man, on the inside, I hear the abundance of the sound of rain. And he says, ready yourselves. And Elijah goes to the mount, and it says that he ascends to the top of the mount. And he gets on the top of the mount, and he gets down on his knees And it says that he puts his face between his knees and he begins to pray. And it says that he takes his servant with him. And he takes somebody with him that is going to be there to believe with him. And I'm telling you, there's so many dream assassins, so many people that are just waiting for an opportunity to criticize and to trivialize and to compromise the word of the Lord in your life, the way that you're hearing God, the things that God is saying to you. And at times, we are on our end looking for just that one person that if I would share what it is that I think God is saying to me and you would tell me that I'm crazy, that's actually what I'm looking for so that I can just sign off that I must not have heard God the way that I thought I did. But Elijah takes somebody with him that actually believes in the way that he hears God. Elijah takes somebody with him to the top of the mount that's there contending with him. And that's not actually there just trying to compromise him. And Elijah gets down in the place of prayer. And as he's in the place of prayer, you can imagine how crazy it is that he seems to the person that's next to him. Well, what are we looking for? Well, bro, I get it. Like, like God spoke to you, but what are we up here doing? It's like we're looking for something out there in the distance. Well, what is it that we're actually here trying to find? We're looking for a cloud. It's going to be small. It's the size of a man's hand. But you'll be able to see it and you'll know it whenever God begins to form it. And Elijah sets himself to pray. Now, Elijah's on the mount in a particular posture and in the place of prayer because this is the evidence that he is in alignment with the things that God has said to him. Because again, priesthood is prayerful, but it must equally be practical because it is with the practicality of our life that we evidence the influence that has come on us in the place of prayer. God is not speaking to us in places of devotion or in times of prayer or in seasons of consecration just so that we can shelf everything or do with it as we evaluate we should do with it. God is looking for a people that would be influenced by him, a people that would be moved by him. And the intelligence or the influence that Elijah has received in the times that he's been with God is now being evidenced in the way that his life is set up. And I get it. At times it's challenging. Because anybody in the room that's going to try and convince me that everything that God has ever said to you 
you have always with incredible joy been ready to do, you are absolutely lying. You're just lying. It's just not the way that it is. At times, there is very real resistance. At times, there is our own evaluation of whose leadership perspective is going to win out, mine or the Lord's. And for this, we have the reference of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's in a priestly posture. We know that Jesus is the eternal high priest. He's the heavenly intercessor, Hebrews 7.25. Right? Just as an encouragement, there's an intercessor in the heavens, and it's not a woman. It's a man. Which means intercession is not just for the ladies who don't have anything else to do. We only have ladies saying amen. Guys, we're going to get it. But Jesus is revealing priesthood in the Garden of Gethsemane. And what do I mean by that? He's in the place of prayer until the way that his life is practically set up is going to evidence the influence of his father's leadership on his life. Until how he lives his life is demonstrating that he has in a full way yielded to the leadership of his father. He's not just accessing the voice of God. He's not just satisfying his own life in a plastic way by becoming proficient in having the conversation of what God has been saying to him. He's not interested in all of the superficiality at times that others tend to become interested in. He's aware of what his father is after. And in the garden, he is going to posture himself and pray it all the way through, even if he has to bleed it out until he comes under his father's leadership in a greater way, becoming subject with joy to the leadership of his father. And he's there in the garden and he's praying. And if there's any hope in the place of prayer, we have it right here in Matthew 26, 36 to 46. He's like, I know what you want. And I just don't want it the same way that you do. Is there any way that this cup could pass? Man, have you ever been there? Lord, I know what you're saying. I just don't want to do that. I know what you're saying. I know what you want from me. Or I know what you want altogether. But I just don't want what you want the way that you want it. Is there another way? Is there a bypass? Is there an alternative route? Is there some other way that we could create together where we move forward? Or at least to me and others, it looks like we're moving forward. This is not where Jesus is at. Jesus is in the garden and he's in the place of prayer. And he's praying until God's influence in his own heart conquers the strength of the resistance that he knows is alive in him. How often is this our perspective? as we relate to the Lord? How often is this the way that we posture ourselves when we're aware that there's hostility, that there's resistance to the things that we know the leadership of the Spirit is trying to bring about in our lives? How many times do we have the lens or the framework to be able to say, you know what, man, I tried to pray about it and nothing changed. I still don't want it. Oh, well, it must not have been God. Jesus is like, man, I'm praying and 
and nothing is breaking. So I have to keep praying. And I have to keep praying until the resistance that I know is alive on the inside of me actually gets conquered. And he's able to transform the condition of my heart through the place of relating to him the way that he desires to be related to. In this place of intimate fellowship and union with God, I'm asking you to do something on the inside of me because what's going on on the inside of me right now, whether anyone else is aware of the thing that's real and happening in me, I'm aware of what's real and what's happening in me. And I can't just find another way to satisfy the externals. I have to do something in the place of prayer until you satisfy your desires for what's happening on the inside of my heart and life. And Jesus says, I have to pray until something changes in me. Well, man, I prayed about it for two weeks and I still don't want it. You have to keep going. Well, man, I've prayed about it now 42 times and I still don't want it. You have to keep going. You have to tarry in the place of devotion to God. And whatever the cost, massive amounts of relating to the Lord until the strength of our own will, the strength of our own demands, the resolve of the resistance that's alive on the inside, because it's not only that we do it that's enough. Jesus doesn't just endure the cross for the sake of satisfying what is the veneer of a Christian life or experience. Hebrews says, for the joy set before him, he endured. So it's not that I just have to do it like, hey man, like I'm aware that's what you wanted. Like get off my back already. Like I'm going to do it. Like leave me alone. Like I'm going to do it just so that I can get out of this and we can get on to other things. I'll do it so that you don't bug me anymore and I'll just satisfy it. That's not where he's at. Right? That's where Jonah was at. Jonah obeyed God because he was tired of getting immersed in the deep waters of his rebellion to God's leadership. He was tired of the baptism that he experienced because of his own evaluation of what was right for his life. And Jude, or Jonah was tired of the storm that he was living in. So he finally satisfied obedience to God. But the book ends with Jonah frustrated at God and continuing in the place of why he didn't want to do the thing that God was asking him to do. So it's not only that we satisfy it with the externals or the images, but we tarry in the place of fellowship with God. We tarry in the place of prayer until something happens in me where God actually gets me with joy to surrender to him and do the thing that in the very beginning I realized in a very real and great way, not only did I not want to do, but I was actually hostile to the idea of ever actually doing the thing. And it's the influence of God on our heart and on our life that changes us over time. When we actually respond to the Lord, and we come to him and we desire in the place of fellowship to say, Lord, I don't want this right now, but I want to. 
And I realize that I don't want it. But if you're not going to do something in me, I'm never going to actually want to want this the right way. But I want you to have what you're after. And so, Lord, I'm going to keep coming to you. And I'm going to keep looking to you. And I'm going to continue to ask you for grace to touch my heart and to transform the hostility on the inside and to conquer what is the resistance on the inside. And I'm just going to keep looking to you until you do the thing in me that's necessary so I can do the thing that you are asking me to do. And Jesus tarries and he even bleeds out. He's in so much anguish over the consideration of what his father had asked him to do that he's bleeding out, longing for the leadership of his father to be real in his life to where he finds joy in doing the thing, to where he finds joy. I delight to do your will. And Elijah is there on the top of the mount praying. And he's not just praying to go through the motions, but he's been so moved by the things that God has revealed to him that with joy, he is absolutely convinced of the things that God has said. And he prays once and the servant comes back and he says, did you see anything? It's like, actually, man, like nothing's happening. And he goes to pray again. You know, I often think of Daniel in chapter 10, where it says for 21 straight days, he prayed about, well, first off, it's stunning to me that he's able to pray about one thing for 21 straight days, right? How many of us uh, at times we get lost in the place of prayer, right? Or it's just easy to become distracted. It's easy to bear a particular urgency for several days or maybe even for a couple of weeks, Right? But Daniel stays the course. He's grounded in the place of his consecration. And interestingly enough, when Gabriel comes on day 21, he says, hey man, listen, like on day one, God released to you what it was that you were asking for. But to you, in your perspective or from your posture, it didn't seem like much was happening. Nothing was moving, nothing was shaking, nothing was breaking. Things probably seemed pretty boring down where you're at. But bro, let me give you a little bit of insight what's been going on up here. The first day you set yourself to pray and humbled yourself before God, it created all sorts of conflict up here. There's been warfare up here that you're unaware of because of your posture down there. You've been there fasting, praying, weeping, reading Bible verses, but up here, even though it doesn't seem like much is going on down there, bro, let me tell you, on day one, God said, you know what? I really love that guy, and I'm going to send him the breakthrough that he's been looking for, but it took 21 days because of the resistance and the conflict that needed to be broken through in an unseen realm or in the place of the heavens. And Elijah is there praying. And even though he prays for it, right? Because at times, that's the texture of our attempt. You know what? I'll give it a shot. I'll give it a go. Let's see what happens. And Elijah gives it a go. He gives it a shot. And he prays it out. And absolutely nothing happens. And rather than being convinced by the circumstantial evidence... 
rather than being swayed by what looks like the intersection with revelation and circumstantial evidence. Elijah is absolutely gripped. He is a man that has been overtaken because of his access to the presence and the person of God. And we need an awareness out of our fellowship with God that the things that are actually real are the things that God is revealing in a place at times that is unseen. While there's no storm, there's no rain, there's not a cloud in the sky, Elijah says on the inside, it doesn't matter to me what everyone else is taking note of that's going on on the outside. On the inside, I'm hearing the sound of the abundance of rain. It doesn't matter what my circumstance says. It doesn't matter what the opinion of the crowd is. I'm not interested in the naysayers, the doubters, the dream assassins, the critics, all the haters and the exposers, I've received something from God and I've got to see it come to pass. Without intel, it's difficult to withstand the storm of circumstantial evidence. Without absolutely knowing that we've received something from the Lord, knowing that in our devotion to God and in the way that our life is postured to relate to him, prayer, devotion, consecration, without actually receiving something from the Lord, it is almost impossible to weather the storms at times of circumstantial evidence. And Elijah is praying and nothing is happening. Have you ever been there? Man, I'm going to believe God. I'm actually going to go for it. I know that I've received something from the Lord and I'm, I'm going to give it my all and I'm going to begin to pray about it. I'm going to posture my life. I'm going to step out in faith. I'm going to climb over all of the objections. I'm going to begin to rise in the place of loving obedience. Why? Because I know that I've heard something from the Lord. And then things don't go the way that you thought they would. And disappointment and disillusionment, and despair, and at times the, the confusion and the potential for the swell of, of anger or hostility or the continuation of our evaluation of God and even his leadership. See, I knew that I shouldn't have done this. Man, I knew it. See, I told you that I didn't want to do this. I told you that it was never going to happen. I told you that it wasn't going to work. Only that's not where Elijah is. Elijah prays about it again and again. He prays about it a fourth time and still nothing is happening. He prays about it a fifth time and still nothing is happening. I often think to myself, what would have happened if Daniel would have given up on the fast 12 days in because nothing was moving, nothing was shaking, nothing was breaking. I often think to myself, what would have happened if the disciples in the upper room on that day would have quit? They tarried 10 days. What would have happened if they would have just thrown in the towel just a day or two early? You know, at times we never understand that how close we are to the threshold of breakthrough, how close we are to the threshold 
of seeing the manifestation of the things that God has revealed to us in times of devotion. And Elijah is there and he's continuing in the place of prayer because his life is demonstrating that he's in alignment with God. Because again, our life demonstrating alignment with God is more than a conversation. It's more than a conversation. It has to be the evidence of the practical obedience to the Lord. Where what we say God is saying in the place of our devotion actually brings us under his leadership. And now as we represent him or as we become representatives of him, the demonstration of my life posture and the practicalities of my life give an evidence or a witness that I have become subject to God's leadership. And Elijah continues to pray. And as he continues to pray, the Bible says that six times he prays and nothing happens. Now, I've often wondered in this moment, who's more crazy, Elijah or his servant? Because his servant does not have ownership of the things that he is standing with Elijah in prayer for. You see, it's different when you know you've heard from God. You may believe in the way that someone else hears from God, and we should in a variety of ways, but it's just different when you have ownership of the voice of the Lord in your own heart. And his servant is still there with him. His servant is still in the place of prayer and believing and contending alongside of him. And he says, Elijah, what are we supposed to do? And Elijah says, go and look one more time. And he goes out to look one more time. And if you could imagine the scene for yourself, he comes back and Elijah says, what did you see? Is anything happening? And his servant says, well, I I don't know if this is going to mean a whole lot to you. I don't even necessarily know if this is what we're looking for. But out in the distance over there, While you were praying over here, while you were posturing your life over here, something began happening over there. While you were giving off a witness by the way that you had come under God's leadership, you had surrendered to the voice of the Lord. You had become subject to the things that you knew God longed to see happen. While you were lovingly obeying him over here, something began shifting over there. And he's like, I I don't know if it's much. I don't even know if you're going to be excited about this because I honestly don't really know what it is that we're supposed to be looking for. But all I know is that while you were praying over here, something began forming over there. And while you continued in the place of devotion over here, something started shifting and moving over there. And he says, in the sky over there, I see the cloud, the size of a man's hand. And Elijah says, go look again to see 
and he comes back with the report, the cloud, the size of a man's hand. And Elijah says, ready yourself because the fullness of everything that God has said is on the way. I feel I came to encourage some of your hearts tonight in the place of devotion to the Lord that you need to go look again, that you need to take up the place of devotion to the Lord again, that you need to rise on the other side of disappointment. You need to rise on the other side of maybe a letdown in the way that you interpreted the way that things went before the Lord that you need to get up and be ready by God's grace to come under his love and leadership one more time and to give it another go. Because God is not a man that he would lie. God has sent his word and it shall accomplish every purpose with which he intends it to do. And in the place of devotion and becoming subject once again to the leadership of God, I felt as if God was saying that there are some of us in the room tonight that we are in need of endurance, that it's not going to be cheap, it's not going to be quick, it's not going to come easy, it's going to require a tarrying, it's going to require a particular posture that you're going to have to persevere through. How do you learn to persevere in prayer if everything happens at the snap of your fingers? If you don't have to believe and contend, if you don't have to linger and tarry and travail, if you don't have to believe beyond the circumstantial evidence, if everything happened in the snap of a finger or a moment or the twinkling of an eye, how would we ever learn the conditioning of faith in the posture of prayer to persevere beyond all of what was the previous challenges that got us to check out early. That moved us from the place of our devotion because we didn't see what we wanted to see on our timeline. Because we didn't get the answers that we wanted to get in the time that we had determined we had allotted to God for him to respond. Man, well, I really want you to move, Lord. But I'm just telling you, if you don't do it in the next two weeks, I'm going to have to find something else to do. Like, Lord, I, I really believe. I'm telling you, I really believe, but you've got 30 days. And if you don't do it in the next 30 days, then I mean, clearly, like I'm just going to have to go with my own evaluation. I feel as if the Lord is calling some of us back to the top of the mount, representing a unique place of obedience and posture of devotion. That the Lord is calling us back to a place of confidence in the things that God has said so that what we know we've received from the Lord can be the primary and enduring influence on our life and the way that we live our life so that we don't resort to our own wisdom or our own evaluation, becoming subject to a, a, a way of operating or occupying that becomes fleshly or mechanical. But the Lord is calling us back to a place of faith, to a place of contending, to a place of wrestling with his leadership until 
what has resisted in us is actually satisfied or transformed through the ongoing influence of the love of God in our direction. Where God's affections towards us can begin to weaken the strength of our own will that at times fights him in every intersection where his leadership and mine comes to a head or finds a clash. I feel like the Lord is calling us to a place of joyful confidence in the things that we are aware that God is looking for from us and out of our lives. Where the word of the Lord won't just be some trivial thing any longer, but where with real conviction, we become not just aware of the things that God is saying, but we are so aware of the things that God is saying to where they must move me in a practical way. They must press me into a place of obedience. They must keep me in a place where I'm able to endure the storms of circumstantial evidence. Because God is longing to fulfill his word. He is longing to bring the manifestation or the breakthrough that he spoke to you about in the beginning days or the infancy stages of revelation and understanding of things that were on his heart. And Elijah says, I know that we've been here in the place of prayer and nothing has been happening, but go and look again. Man, are there any of you tonight that are willing to go and look again? Are there any of you tonight that are willing to say, I am looking for alignment with God. I want to be radically aligned. Not just to the love of God, but to the leadership of God. Because the way we evidence the love of God actually having the right influence in our life is by the leadership of God. I delight to do your will. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And I felt like the Lord wanted to awaken our hearts again to confidence in him. For those of us that possibly have lost it because of the ebbs and flows and the challenges of life, I understand at times, man, life is real and it's hard, but the grace of God is real and it's powerful. And the influence of God in our heart and life is dynamic and is able to transform the driest, most rebellious part in the conversation of our own heart and life. Now, I mean the conversation that at times we don't even let other people in on. Well, man, I can't even talk about the way that I'm resisting God in certain areas. For one, because I don't want the accountability, but, but then for two, because I don't actually want to bring myself to the place where I'm saying I'm rebelling against God in certain ways or resisting his leadership in certain ways. But where God's influence in our heart is able to transform the resistance. Jesus says, I know that I could ask you for another way, but at the end of the conversation, this is where I want to arrive. Not my will be done, but your will. Not my will, but your will. I know that this may sound generic in some ways, and it may sound elementary in others, but I'm going to invite us 
into a place of prayer to posture ourselves before the Lord and to ask the Lord tonight that if there's any resistance in our heart to his voice or leadership, that he would expose it. At times we don't know what we don't know. You can't see what you can't see. But when you know, you can't unknow. And once you see, you can't unsee. But we would ask him tonight, if there's any resistance that's alive, that's real in my own heart to your leadership in any area of my life. Now I get it, right? It may sound, right? Like, man, I understand the implications of a prayer like that. Great. Let the Lord deal with whatever are your concerns of God's leadership becoming more real in your life. Let the Lord deal with whatever has kept you from contending in the practical place of obedience for the things that you know God has been saying to you. Let the Lord deal with whatever hostility has been creating pressure against you actually engaging God in the place of faith for the things that his voice has been revealing to you. Because we want to be a people that relate to the Lord, but then out of that represent him and reveal our alignment to him by our subjection to him. Because again, every revelation that God is gracious to give of himself is intended to produce a greater subjection in our lives where we become more lovingly and joyfully subject to God's love and leadership and where for the joy set before us, we can do whatever God is asking us to do. What has the Lord been asking you to do? In what way has he been trying to move you, influence you? In what area of your life has his leadership been attempting to get traction in a greater way, to possess you, to where you would posture yourself in accordance to the voice of God? I'm going to ask everybody to stand with me tonight all across the room. Because just like Elijah did, we are going to, in the way that we respond, we're going to posture ourselves. We're going to imagine the place of ascending. Elijah ascends, but then he gets low and he postures himself on his knees with his face between his knees. And he begins to pray. And he begins to seek God for the things that he knows God has said. And so I'm just going to take a moment and pray for you. And then in our response, I'm going to ask you to respond in a particular way. We're just going to take a moment or two. And if you want to do it right where you are, that's going to be okay with me. But I'm going to invite you to just come and just posture yourself down here around the altar in a place of prayer. That for the next couple of moments, we can just ask the Lord to speak to us together as a people to speak to us together as a royal priesthood, to speak to us together as a holy possession of God. So Lord, I'm asking you all over the room right now, your voice alive in each one of our lives, 
in the way that we know how to hear you and in how masterful you are at getting our attention. Lord, I'm asking you to speak to us all over the room in the way that Elijah said, on the inside, there's a sound. And I'm hearing something on the inside. And it's shaking everything that's going on on the inside. I'm aware of a voice, and it's oh so real. And it's alive on the inside. He says, on the inside, I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. Lord, All across the room tonight, I'm asking you to speak to your people. Every one of your sons and daughters, your voice, with all of what is the fullness of your desires for each one of our lives. Lord, you're looking for a people that would actually be in relationship with you and relate to you a particular way. And out of that, that they would be moved by you. Lord, this is what we want. We want to be moved by you. And so call us tonight. Speak to those areas, those spaces and places and conversations of our life. We're asking you, Lord, in a very real way. We're opening up our heart and our life to your loving influence. Lord, have your way and be glorified in my life is what I'm asking you for whatever that means and wherever that goes, without stipulations, conditions, and all of what was previously the resistance. Lord, speak to me tonight and call me back to the place of devotion, to the posture of prayer. Call me back to that practical place of obedience. Alignment with you, Lord. I want to become subject again to your leadership. Lord, do this tonight in each one of our lives. Do this tonight in each one of our lives, Lord. We're asking you, bring us under your harness, under your bridling again. We don't want to be wild and buck your leadership and fight against the things that we know you want. Lord, here we are. Give grace in every heart and in every space to yield Grace to surrender. Grace to get low and to be broken from all of what is the strength of our own resistance. Lord, give grace. Give grace. Thank you again for listening today. We pray that it has fanned into flame the love that you have for him. If you would like more information about Burning Ones, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on social media, visit our website at www.burningones.org or download our app.